we are navigating right now with no map, but we all still have our internal compass. You may not know exactly where the trail is, but you look for a handrail, which is something obvious. It's not going to change like a river or a peak. And you use those. You might bounce around in the middle of the map, but you still are headed in the same direction. So, you know, if people are floundering right now and, and, and looking for their handrails, I mean, find out, can you articulate what your internal compass is and, and what's really important to you? And right now is the perfect time to be doing that. It's easy to talk about the successes, but what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. My name is Eric Weinmayer. I've gotten the chance to ascend Mount Everest, to climb the tallest mountain in every continent, to kayak the Grand Canyon, and I happen to be blind. It's been a struggle to live what I call a no barriers life, to define it, to push the parameters of what it means. And part of the equation is diving into the learning process and trying to illuminate the universal elements that exist along the way. And that unexplored terrain between those dark places we find ourselves in and the summit exists a map. That map, that way forward, is what we call no barriers. Rebecca Russ is the queen of pain with the heart of gold. As a multi-decade professional athlete and seven-time world champion, her career includes numerous adventure sports and countless wins and accolades, including induction into the Mountain Bike Hall of Fame. In 2017, Rebecca released an Emmy Award-winning feature film, Blood Road, which followed her personal journey along the 1,200-kilometer Ho Chi Minh Trail. Now, as CEO of Rush Ventures, she hosts her signature gravel bike event, Rebecca's Private Idaho. Rush Academy Backcountry Gravel Camps, and her epic travel adventure, MTB Lao. She's also the best-selling author of Rush to Glory, a world-renowned motivational speaker and volunteer firefighter. Finally, her Be Good Foundation, a nonprofit organization, has raised over a half million dollars for bike-centric charities on a local, national, and global level. All right, kick it off. All right, where do we start? Rebecca, you've been super busy. (laughs) You're very eclectic, I would say. I was checking out all your pursuits and activities and expertises, and man, it's it's pretty amazing. Seven-time world champion and different sports. Can you list all seven off the top of your head? (laughs) Yeah, a a lot of them are cycling. So 24-hour mountain bike racing, um, actually masters cross-country skiing is one of them, adventure racing, uh, and uh, whitewater rafting. Yeah. (laughs) And then all the stuff off the beaten path, like non-competitive stuff, like biking. Jeff, did you know this? Biking, she biked up Kilimanjaro and down again. How the heck do you even, some of it's so steep, like on the... Those sand dunes, uh, you know, that, that ash, how the heck did you even, uh, yeah, how did you do that? Well, <laughs> I mean, the very, the very top bit, it sounds like you've done Kilimanjaro too then, right? A couple of times with groups, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah the, I mean, the top part, the summit day, you have to carry your bike quite a bit. Yeah. It just, I loaded up on my back, but all the other days leading up were super rideable and, uh, other than that lack of oxygen, um, was, was a pretty great ride. And the descent 
was pretty oh, fun, as you can imagine. Sand dude was so fun. <laughs> I was. I remember cool. running down that thing, just flying down. Did you ride from uh, Bronca like all the way down to the base, like in one shot? Yeah, we descended all at once. Yeah, wow. was, that was pretty sweet. That must have been so fast. <laughs> All these hikers are walking down, trudging, and we're like, we'll see ya. Yeah, it was cool. The brakes were definitely smoking by the time we got all the way down. Do you feel like you were were wired to suffer, or was that a a find as you crested into adulthood? You know, even as a kid, I I grew up in suburbs of Chicago, and, you know, I'd want to camp out in the backyard, ask my mom if I could, you know, sleep outside, and our like annual camping trips, um, you know, to national parks and things like that really, I mean, that always grabbed me from, from a young age. And, and then, uh, you know, the sports organized sports really started in high school. I, I joined the cross country running team and funny stories. I mean, I, I joined it. No one in my family was athletic at all. Um, and I joined the cross country running team cause my neighbor told me you get a free sweatsuit and that you would never get fat. But what I really found is, you know, using my body and working hard. And that became a, a, you know, it changed the trajectory of my life. I have a a very vague memory of you. And this was back in 2003. For for those uninitiated in the world of of adventure racing and which is slash suffering, it's a multi-adventure, multi-disciplined race that Eric and I did a few, but notably we did one. Uh, it was in 2003, I believe, and you were there. My memory is it, it took Eric and I 10 days to do that race. I remember like being in some field on day, like the morning of day two or whatever, and somehow like we, we saw you and your team and somebody, I think Cammy, our teammate, was like, that's Rebecca's team. And, you know, like we were all like, ooh, and you guys were sprinting <laughs> off in the distance. And I was like, I looked at you longingly like you guys were gone, man. You were going to be drinking beer and we would still be, you know, a day, basically like not even a third of the way through the entire thing. So Inspiring and demoralizing all right. Yeah, inspiring and de- that's exactly right. Like, <laughs> yeah, but here's the deal. Your team finished, ours didn't. So, you know, you got to get to that. the finish line. Yeah. Well, I went into that race with a calf injury and then I was just like so worried about this little calf tweak. And then by like day three, I couldn't even feel my calf because my back hurt so bad. <laughs> and then, and then my back, I was just like, Oh God, my back. And then I like day five, I couldn't even feel my back because my, you know, my neck hurt so bad. <laughs> I mean, you're one of, you're, you're a world champion adventure racer. So give us another parallel, something that you have learned in these adventure races specifically, or maybe just the super ultra endurance events that you've done and how it is paralleling, you know, where you are right now, where we are right now collectively in the middle of sort of quarantining pandemic times. You know, I'm, it's a good question. I'm, I'm kind of grateful that I'm an endurance athlete and I have, you know, four decades of experience of like, going through hard stuff and suffering and getting lost and coming out the other side, because I actually feel like right now more than ever that those events have been preparing me for, for what we're going through right now. And I'm taking so many lessons from the trail of like, okay, I've gone through stuff like this before. The biggest difference is, you know, a, a, a physical challenge versus what is an emotional challenge right now for a lot of people but, but it really is the same. I mean, it's like, 
you know, Alaska is another good example. I got lost this seven day event and I was so prepared. I trained really hard this year. I was ready for it. My equipment was dialed and I got, I made a navigational error 30 minutes into the event. And so then I'm alone in the snow in Alaska. It's starting to get dark. It's starting to snow really hard. And, and I, I spent a while being pissed at myself, you know, should I go back? I'm going to quit. This sucks. I suck, you know, and I had a pity party for a while and then it starts snowing and gets dark. And then I was like, Oh, I really, this is really serious. I better, I better go forward and I better get myself out of this. And this is the real deal. And I feel like that's where we are now. Like everyone wants to go back to how it was. And we're like, why are we here? Um, But there's nothing to do but get productive. I mean, we can feel sorry for ourselves and be mad about it and kind of go through the stages of grief. But now we're at the point where, okay, what are we going to do about it? We are really in this. And I I am trying to draw from my endurance experience of of putting my head down and it sucks, but you know, it's, it's darkest before the dawn. And you guys know from adventure racing, you just, you kind of soldier on and, and eventually the sun does come up. But you've talked about like nesting, how you sort of, I don't really, you mentioned it in your Ted talk and I I don't really like, I'm not picturing you as like a big nester or are you? Yeah. Well, my Ted talk was about, I called it navigating home and because I really felt like, you know, I did a ride, the most important ride in my life five years ago was my ride down the Ho Chi Minh trail. And I went to do, you know, it's a 1200 mile bike expedition, but the, the, big part of the motivation to go there was to find, go to the crash coordinates where my dad's plane went down during the Vietnam war. And, and he died when I was young and I just had these map coordinates and, and it was drawing me there. And, and I, I did that ride, you know, I went and stood in the place. And when I came home from that ride, you know, I, I, the Ted talk was the first public, the first time I'd spoken about it, you know, other than in my journal and, and I call it was it, beautiful, by the way. I'd highly well, recommend everyone go yeah, watch it. It's amazing. Really what I felt like in that TED Talk, the navigating home is is feeling a sense of, a physical sense of home, which I feel like I found in Idaho. But it was more an, an emotional feeling of home, of understanding who I am, what I stand for, why I do all this stuff. I mean, Eric, you, you guys get the same questions. Why do you do all this crazy stuff? What are you trying to prove? Why do you torture yourself? And really that ride is, I felt like I came home to, I learned who I was and I feel like my dad brought me there to teach me, you know, even, even though he's physically not here, my bike and my endurance and all my adventure racing, everything has been leading to that ride for me to, to find out, you know, what it's all about. And so while I wouldn't say I'm a big like homebody nester, it's a sense of home of in my heart. And so, yeah, it's, that was really a pivotal moment for me. And I've spent the last five years really kind of evaluating that ride and what it means and, and figuring out what I stand for. I think that's really beautiful. This idea of being a uh, home in your heart. I, I love that. I never thought about, you know, I, yeah, everyone thinks about home in a physical way, not about a place inside themselves that they feel comfortable and secure and loved and love the world. Right. That's, that's a different kind of home. That's cool. Well, for the audience, let's back up and talk about it. So this was an adventure that you did five years ago and you biked across Vietnam and, and, and you found your, your dad's crash site. It was found on GPS. Right. And so, yeah, tell us about like the adventure, you know, just to kind of build the foundation for everyone. 
Yeah, so the Ho Chi Minh Trail was the supply route that was used for the North Vietnamese to move supplies and troops to overtake the South. And it was purposefully hidden in the jungle. And it's this labyrinth of trails. And so I wanted to piece together, you know, the most historically accurate route. So it starts in North Vietnam, goes through Laos, Cambodia, and then enters back into South Vietnam. And and the reason that trail was calling my name, the Ho Chi Minh Trail, is, is I'd always heard growing up as a kid, you know, I never knew my dad. And all I knew was, oh, he was shot down over the Ho Chi Minh Trail. He was an Air Force fighter pilot. He was shot down over the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And that name kept coming up. And so I started researching. And, you know, of course, at, you know, at this point in my life, I was into ultra endurance bike riding. And I was just like, maybe we can go ride the thing. Like, has anyone done it? I don't know. And so it became this really cool adventure, but with a, you know, to, to try to ride the 1200 miles um, of the whole trail and, and piece it all together logistically. But it really became a personal journey. And I didn't start out realizing it was going to, you know, really kind of define my life and help me find my purpose. Um, but it was an intense expedition. I mean, trying to find a trail first off that is purposely hidden or overgrown, um, going into a country as an American where, you know, my father was bombing their villages and to ask, Hey, can I, I want to pass through here. Can I find this crash site? Will you help me? And I mean, they're the friendliest people in the world and I wasn't sure I'd be welcomed. And it was a very intense expedition physically and emotionally. And, you know, I was lucky enough that Red Bull Media House, they did a documentary on it and a very small film crew on motorcycles. Um, and, and it ended up capturing, you know, all of the interviews and the, you know, the meeting of the villagers and even meeting the son of the father who buried my father in 1972, you know, mm-hmm. a Lao villager. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's an intense, deep, deep journey, but also Eric, to your point, a really really amazing expedition because there was so much unknown about it and, you know, really going into very remote, remote villages in Laos where they don't see tourists, they don't see people, you know, like me. But the bike is this universally accepted mode of transportation. You know, there's more bikes in Southeast Asia than there are cars. And so I felt like being on a bike as a, like a journeyer, you know, a, a journeyman or someone traveling. Disarming. People yeah. understood, you know, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, you're on a journey, a physical journey. And and I was welcomed everywhere I went. It was, mm. it was pretty cool. And I've gone back every year now. Um, I go back and ride more of the trail. You were in Vietnam on an adventure race, I think. And, you know, you, I, I think the way I heard it described was you're, you know, thinking, okay, adventure racing is very structured and, but like in a way, and I'm not putting words in your mouth, but do you agree that like what the next evolution is like building this own journey that's so deeply personal to you, you know, you're not competing, there's no trophies. It's, it's a, it's a deeper kind of heart journey. Yeah, that's exactly the the way to put it. In 2003 is when I I did the rig Gawas in Vietnam. And afterwards, my mom and I did sort of a tour and hired a guide and went to, you know, um, China Beach where my dad did his R&R and went to, you know, Quezon, which was a big battlefield. It's now a beautiful coffee plantation. And so we went to some of these places. And that was that was the first time in my life where I started asking about my dad and started wanting questions. And I remember our guide pointed 
pointed over these hills into Laos and said, oh, the Ho Chi Minh Trail is over there. And that was 2003. And I really think that's where the sort of sprout of the idea of like, I wonder what that trail is like. I wonder if mm-hmm. I could go there. And it took many years, you know, more than a decade for it to piece together. But you're exactly right that the evolution of my racing is is really now much more expedition, self-expeditions, you know, and, and yeah, there's no trophy at the end that I can physically hold, but there's something much more valuable. Yeah. And so for everybody that's called blood road and it's, uh, it's, it's great film. It, it won a well, ton of awards. Yeah. Thank you. I remember having somebody at the film festival, Boulder international adventure film festival. Um, I had my, this device where I had a, a, a person who sees through the, this little camera and, and they were describing the, the visuals to me. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, but by the way, my dad was a Vietnam vet. And so um, he flew A4s in Vietnam and oh, was wow. lucky enough to come home. And uh, your dad wasn't. So you talk about that, you know, having a, you know, like a big scar in your life and your family. So what, what were your what were your scars growing up being without a dad, you know, growing up not having your dad to guide you? You know, it's, it's hard because as a kid, like... I didn't know what I was missing because he died when I was so young and people would, you know, feel sorry for me or say things. And it it was hard for me to miss or love something that I didn't know. Right. And so I never knew how to answer that question. And, you know, I can look back now and, you know, see other families with children and, you know, but honestly, it's like the silver lining is like growing up alone with my mom and my sister is like I developed this sense. We all did a sense of independence and strength and, you know, that we could do anything and we had to do everything because we had to fend for ourselves. And so there are some positives that come out of it. And, and ultimately that my sporting career brought me to him. And what a lot of people will say after, you know, seeing Blood Road and seeing the film is, oh, that must have been closure for you to get to mm-hmm. go to the spot. And it was exactly the opposite. Like, I finally know my dad and I know my family and I know my sister better. And so while I'm really sad that, you know, I didn't have him to teach me to ride a bicycle or, you know, we didn't have all this time together when I see parents with their kids. It's so cool that they're doing sports together, but I also feel really lucky that we are connected in this way. And, and I, I do believe that he's around, he's been watching and he's been hanging out and now more than ever, like he's, he's helping guide me. And I launched a foundation in his name. And since that ride five years ago, you know, so much of my career has, it might look the same from the outside, but just things have really solidified and become clearer for me. That it, foundation is the Be Good Foundation. That's how your dad would close his letters home, right, from Vietnam? Yeah, he wrote all the, 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 the only thing I have are the songs. He was a musician, so I have some recordings of his songs and then the letters he wrote home from Vietnam and everyone he closed with the words Be Good. So the name of the foundation is Be Good and those words have kind of become my my mission statement in life. What do you do with the foundation? What does the Be Good Foundation do? So the Be Good Foundation is all about using the bicycle as a catalyst for healing and evolution and empowerment. And so the genesis of it was when I did the ride down the Ho Chi Minh Trail, I was appalled to learn about all the unexploded ordnance that 
is still there. And a war that ended 50 years ago is still killing people. And so I came home, launched the foundation with the initial goal of, of helping clear unexploded ordnance in Laos, which we still do through bike trips that I take over there. But also I expanded the foundation to be able to use the bikes in other communities. Um, I work with World Bicycle Relief in Africa that provides uh, bicycles for healthcare workers and students. Um, I do a fundraising ride here, Rebecca's Private Idaho, that that also mm-hmm. works with our local and the national bike charities. And so it's all about, about using the yeah, bike. Yeah, we should do that race, by the way. That sounds so oh, fun, your gravel race. You need to do it. I was actually going to – I hope we have it this year. It's Labor Day weekend. But, yeah, we'll see. I mean, given the, the atmosphere that we're in right now. But, yeah, you're absolutely invited anytime to come <laughs> ride. <laughs> yeah. Because, I, by the way, I biked across Vietnam, not the, through the jungle like you did, but uh, with my dad on a tandem bike being the Vietnam vet. And, um, wow. That's and we were with a bunch of teams, uh, uh, not teams, but people who are both from both sides of the war, Viet Cong, North Vietnamese, South Vietnamese. And we we're all riding together. What um, year did North you do to that? South, 97. Oh, wow. They were looking for disabled vets. And um, my dad's a vet and I'm disabled. And since we we're on one bike, <laughs> I figured together we were a disabled vet. And that's how we got in on the trip. And uh it was so powerful for my dad, but uh, you met people along the way. And I found this too. They weren't bitter. Like I met this guy and he's like, well, how can you blame you're bouncing down a river? How do you, you what are you going to blame the rocks? It's a very Buddhist kind of yeah. sense of non bitterness. Like you said, there's a very Buddhist sort of feeling of just acceptance that the past is gone and we're living in the moment. And, you know, it's a, it's an important lesson that I've, tried to take with me of of not holding a grudge. And, and like I said, we're in this moment of COVID and what are we going to do about it right now? So hard not to hold a grudge though, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's really, yeah. Yeah. If someone has wronged you. Yeah. Yeah. Or life has wronged you. Even ancestral wrong, like in this case, ancestral wronging. Yeah. Just hanging on, you know, you don't, you're not, they're not hanging on to something that, you know, that our parents did or were told to do. And I think that's a, a pretty liberating thing yeah i mean because life wronged you i mean in a way i lost my mom when i was a teenager so like i know that feeling of loss and um you know you you uh one of the things i noticed when i was watching the film was like it struck me that your dad was like a 60s version of you (laughs) i was thinking like this kind of like rambling dude and he was like an artist and a poet and musician and I don't know. It sounds like maybe you got drafted. Right. And it's like, I was just thinking about that. You know, you, you guys seem very similar. I don't think you're rambling. That's no, one of the, not a rambler, but no, you know, but, kind of, that was his version of adventure. You know, he, he wasn't, he wasn't <laughs> looking to go off to war. That's one of the biggest compliments ever anyone's ever given me, Eric. Thank you. Oh, nice. <laughs> but do you agree? Yeah. I feel like there's, I feel like he's a combination of, you know, my sister and I are, are a combination of him and it, she's a general in the air force. My sister is. And, um, my Amazing. dad wasn't drafted. He actually, he, he had a very low draft number and he knew he was going to get drafted. And so he decided, you know, if I've got to go in, I might as well, I might as well, um, get some education out of this. And so he applied for officer training school and, you know, learned to be a pilot and, you know, you're right. He didn't want to go to war. Um, he didn't agree with it. Uh, but he decided if he was going to go, he was going to make the best of it. And, um, 
unfortunately you didn't come home. And so I feel like I've taken that sort of wandering, you know, guy who lived out of his car, like I have, um, musician, I, th- that's a part that I really resonate with. And, and my sister, you know, really resonates with the, the military, the duty and, you know, that kind of side of him. Yeah. It was cool getting to know him. He seemed like a really cool guy. He was a good musician too, Jeff. He might've, I think he played the guitar better than you. And you wrote a book. Yeah, I did. I wrote a book before I went and did this journey. I think there's probably a second book in there, you know, with all of this other stuff, but that's way harder than an adventure race or the, I did rod writing books. Oh man. It's hard, right? It's very (laughs) cathartic, but it's painful at the same time. And the book is rush to glory, adventure, risk and triumph on the path, less traveled. Yeah. But you guys can attest to this. Your athletes is like, that was the first thing I did where we're trying harder, didn't produce a result. You know, a physical training is way easier than, than a creative process. And that, that was really new for me. And I didn't really have the discipline to do it very well. And I, I still don't, I'm still mm-hmm. working on that one. Uh, you mentioned maybe in your Ted talk, how going and doing this adventure and finding your dad's crash site was like rebreaking a leg that maybe wasn't set properly. And so I find that really fascinating because that's so counterintuitive to go and break your leg all over again, to open up this big can of pain, to open a door in a way. Uh, Like describe that to people, because in a weird way, that's what we do with no barriers people. You know, they've gone through all kinds of trauma. And in a way we're taking them out into doing these experiences in a way, like re-injuring them to kind of find themselves. That is so fast, fascinating to me. I I mean, it's not an easy process. You're, you're exactly right. I think if I realized how hurtful it was going to be to my family and how, how emotionally hard it was going to be, I might not sign. I might not have signed up for it in the beginning. Um, you know, the the familiar part of of doing that. You were ready for the physical stuff. It was the other stuff that I thought. Yeah, I was just going to say the physical stuff was easy, and people were like, "Oh, that ride must have been hard." But I, it was familiar. I wouldn't say it was easy. It was familiar. Um, right. What was not familiar was, you know, being very vulnerable. You know, talking to my mom about stuff that we had been pushed under the carpet for 40 years, you know, we didn't, we didn't talk, you know, from the Vietnam era, you know, people didn't really talk about it. It's just now starting to be talked about and um, people don't talk about the hurt or the hard things. And I think what's so cool about no barriers is, is that you are opening up those wounds and you're cleaning them out and you're, I mean, I'm an EMT. So it's like you open it up, you clean it out, you get the dirt out, you get all the crap out and then you sew it up again and then it's better. It doesn't feel good in the process, but knowing at the end of end of it, there is a healing and, and that it will be better. And I think it's really important to have people ushering you through that process when you are digging into some deep wound that we, you know, we all have one or two or five do you recommend that people go, you know, they have a trauma or something painful in their life with really shitty, you know, uh, set broken leg and they go and re-break it? What's your advice? For me, my best advice is just the one that, that I use as my tool of my coping mechanism is to get outside and enjoy nature and, and move my body. And that's the way I heal. 
Yeah. Well, Eric and I have found in our veterans programs that are associated with no barriers that um, in some cases, when you re-break that old wound and you pull that scab off, that it's hard to know how bad it's going to hurt when you rip that scab or you rip that bandaid and that it's important because Eric, Eric's, Eric's asking you like, Hey, would you advise this for everybody? I think if you go and you step into that venue and you rip that bandaid off, it's just, you need to have the infrastructure around you to be able to take care of that wound once it starts to heal. Cause I think we found in our experience, sometimes those wounds are maybe bigger and deeper and more infected than you anticipated. Uh-huh. All right. You want to talk on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, you hit on a super good point is that you need a support system and a mechanism to, to deal with pain and it gets harder before it gets easier. But most people that I've worked with or in myself, once they're through that hard process, they don't regret having undertaken that challenge if you get through to the other side, you kind of get through to the the sun coming up in the morning, but it's that dark period. And, you know, maybe that's our, where we are with, with coronavirus and this part that we're in our world right now, we're, we're kind of in the shadows and um, what's it going to look like five years from now? We don't know, but, but there is no going back. We, we can't actually choose not to take part in, in what's going on in our world right now. Yeah. Well, you've, you've continued to find new ways to, to take your skill set and your drive and your passion and sort of recalibrate it and do things that make the world a better place. Yeah, I, I was going through sort of the, like I think I said, the stages of grief of, of coming out of Alaska, you know, chosen isolation, this amazing adventure to the pandemic really blowing up. And, you know, as an athlete and kind of just being like, what is this? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And, you know, first denial and then sadness or being yeah. grief and being pissed off and being yeah. scared. And I'm sort of in the next phase of like, all right, we're in it. What are we going to do about it? I was just as an athlete, you know, all my events have been canceled. And I was like, I need something hard to train for to, to keep me accountable. So I, I launched the Giddy Up Challenge and, and, kind of as a nod to private Idaho, cause it's all Western themed. Um, but I'm, I basically launched a challenge for Memorial day weekend and I wanted to do it on Memorial day weekend, um, because of my dad and in honor to him. And it's it, the funds for the ride will go through the be good foundation and I'll go towards COVID relief through the CDC foundation and world bicycle relief and people for bikes. And, and so it's a, it's a ride challenge that you do wherever you are, indoors or outdoors, or run challenge. And there are four different elevation uh, markers to hit for. One's about 5,000 feet in a day or 10 or 15, or I'm going to go for a full, what they call Everesting, um, 29,000, 29 feet um, on my bike. And you, you choose one hill and you go up and down as many times as you need to do it. And if you go to uh, Rebecca's giddyupchallenge.com or rebeccarush.com, all the info's there. You sign up. You know, I've got a bunch of prizes. We're giving bikes away, a giant and a live bicycle, Envy wheels. Um, like there's a bunch of cool stuff, but yeah. you know, mostly we're all getting together for a big ride to do a good thing. And you can do it indoors too. If people can't. Like you could ride an escalator like a yeah. hundred times. Yeah. 
How long is it going to take you to do 29,035 feet? Like, what are you anticipating time-wise for that? I think it's going to take me about 22 hours if everything goes just right. Oh, wow. Well, I'm doing it on a gravel climb as well, so that makes it slower. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't want it to be too easy, so. Yeah, of course not. That's not you. (laughs) Like looking at the thread of your life, it seems like reinvention is a huge theme, right? You start out as a kid just playing in the suburbs and then you have a regular job and you become an adventure athlete and this death happens and it starts to focus you on other things and you move into other sports and other pursuits and deeper and more evolved things, more things where you're serving the world. seems like just constant reinvention. Do you have any kind of recipe for reinvention for others? Yeah, I mean, I would call it evolution more than reinvention. Um, and I, I, you know, we're all in this process of evolving and we're all a culmination of, you know, what we did before. And hopefully you build on that and you are sort of building this nice pyramid of of your experiences and learning from from those things. Yeah, so I would I would definitely call it evolution. But, you know, coming after I came home from Blood Road, I did write down a bunch of bunch of things of like, what is my formula? I, I like you, you talked about, I looked back of like, all right, I did this, I did this, I did this. What are the themes? Like, what's the formula or the recipe for success or what's important to me? And I, I kind of came up with these four like equations that started, you know, you know, themes started showing up and it was a cool exercise for me to do, to write down. And I eventually sort of been a five-year process, but eventually like wrote my own personal mission statement. And I think what's interesting is like in business, every single business has a mission statement and core values, but very few humans do. When you look at your life, you're like, what do I want to build my life as? What do I want my legacy to be? What do I stand for? So I've kind of like been encouraging people to go through that process, but you know, I'm happy to share mine. And then when you guys develop yours, you can share yours if you don't have them already. But really the pattern. Do you have it off the top of your head? Like, do you have it there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it. Yeah. Could so, you read it? so yeah, the themes, the themes for me have been um, that I was able to identify our, our risk equals reward, passion equals payoff. I have to love what I'm doing. Give equals get. There has to be a component of that is not just about me. Um, and then the the most recent one is less equals more, and that has to do with focus and not putting so many things into my life that you know actually. If I do a little bit less, I get more out of it. And and then the ultimate mission, personal mission statement that came out of that is that, you know, my mission is to continually inspire and challenge myself and others to be good. Hmm. <laughs> I like it. And the important part of the mission statement is I have to challenge me, but I also have to challenge other people. Like if I'm just giving and giving and challenging a bunch of other people and inspiring them, but not doing so for myself, then the equation doesn't work. And same if I'm just doing my own stuff, inspiring myself and doing challenges, but but there's not an aspect for other people, then the equation also doesn't work. Hmm. Well, there's no doubt that right now, like those are all just such solid anchor points because I think a lot of people are kind of spinning their wheels right now, like keep trying to maintain momentum as well as established discipline i think there's a lot of there's a lot of lack of discipline right now and rightfully so but everything you just mentioned are like good circle back points for people to to reflect well i what i keep saying to people is like we are navigating right now with no map 
Like we mm. don't have a map, but we all still have our internal compass. And if you can articulate and write down and figure out what your internal compass is for, then they're your guidelines, you know, that, you know, mm. in navigation, they, you know, there's a term called handrails that, you know, you look, you may not know exactly where the trail is, but you look for a handrail, which is something obvious. It's not going to change like a river or a peak. And you use those, you might bounce around in the middle of the map or the terrain between the handrails, but you, you still are kind of headed in the same direction. And so, you know, if people are floundering right now and, and, and looking for their handrails, I mean, find out, you know, can you articulate what your internal compass is and, and what's really important to you? And right now is the perfect time to be doing that. I had my favorite commentary and now I just had to change that because that's my new favorite one. That's pretty awesome. I love that, that internal compass because there's always a North star, yeah. right? So like, there's, there's always something there you can lean towards. It may get obscured by the clouds, but it's there. You just got to keep, keep uh, charging towards it. Amazing, Rebecca. And do you think, uh, Rebecca, like, you know, so you just, you, you had this incredible journey, especially in Vietnam. And you've, you know, you've had all these incredible journeys. Do you think that this stuff heals you in a way? It, or is that making it negative? Do I, do I think that all the journeys I've had heal me? Is that what you said? Yeah, like, do you think the Vietnam trip was like a healing trip? And are you quote unquote healed? Like, is there being healed in life? Or is it, you know, constant, constant healing every day? <laughs> I, I, I do think we're constantly evolving. And, you know, we never are a complete master of this yeah. thing called life. Um, and I, I do believe that's why people should learn new things or learn an instrument or try something different, no matter what age they are, because I, I do believe we're a constant work in progress. Absolutely, though, you know, Blood Road was healing. And and like I said, I found home internally and externally. And it really was because that trip forced me to look inside more than outside than I ever have in my whole life. And so I wouldn't say I'm, I'm healed or I'm fixed or I'm cured, uh, but I'm definitely in a different place than I was. And do you have to keep finding that or do you, is it there? Is it solid in you? The reason I wrote down, you know, my mission statement and those core values is because, yeah, nobody's perfect. Like a roller coaster of days. Some days I, I lose focus and I, I wonder what it's all about. And, and I can go back to those, you know, that mission statement. I can go back to that. I can listen to my dad's song to kind of help ground me. So, so yeah, I have to keep reminding myself of, of the lessons that, that I'm trying to learn. Um, maybe I'm a slow learner or maybe it's just that none of us are perfect. And, and every day, you know, there's going to be a roller coaster ups and downs. Well, to use your, to use the metaphor that you brought up, um, you know, the, that, that wound that, uh, you try to repair is, is, um, it's, it's hard to see it when it's fully repaired while it's still in the middle of that torn up abraded sort of, you know, perspective, it's hard to see that. And I think that's where we are right now. And it's, it's hard to understand what healing even looks like while it's healing. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for all you've done, all the, you know, stuff you've done to contribute to the world and through your nonprofits, through these cool projects like the Giddy Up thing. I really appreciate it and um, hope to come out and do your gravel race at some point. So thanks for the, for the time you spent with us. I think we need, the three of us need to plan an adventure. I think Ooh. we're like kindred spirits. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. So, you know, 
here's the thing, and and I'll uh, I, I Eric and I talked about you yesterday when we were together, and I told him not to bring this up, and I'm going to bring it up because oh. I think it's because I think it's awesome. He paid you a very high compliment in saying that there's a lot of athletes out there that try to get to the level that you've accomplished over the years. And Eric and I have been around him for for a long time, decades now. And we see a lot of people who really f- try to flex into that position, you know, like really try to like alpha their way through that. They're amazing athletes. They're wonderful. And then there's the outliers that don't have to flex that are just badasses by nature, by, by wiring. And that those people are the ones who we, I seem to see gravitate towards the kind of life that you have led, which is this, it's a, Hey, I've done some, some big, hard, strong things. And now I want to use that momentum and that fuel to, to, to inspire other people instead of the big flex. And that's you and the world's better because of you and doing that. So it's, um, Keep keep fighting the good fight, Rebecca. It's uh, yeah. You're very grounded, Rebecca. You're very grounded. You remind me of like Alex Lowe, one of my friends yes. from the '90s who died. Yeah. And he was just he had this burning desire inside just to crush it. But yeah, he was a real person and just super kind and. Yeah, and Alex was like the yeah. tough guy, but he was he was soft and compassionate. Yeah, and, and, that, and you remind yeah. me of him. So yeah. I love that compliment too. Good. That's a good. That's a, that's another really good compliment. Wow! Yeah, two of the best compliments of my life just uh, happened in <laughs> nice. this interview nice. with you. Thank nice. you, Eric. Cool. Thanks for your Thank time, you, Rebecca. Jeff. What'd you learn? What'd you What'd you get out of this? Well, I mean, being being in medicine for twenty whatever years and working in trauma and emergency medicine for as long as I have, of course, the, the metaphor of the broken bone and the, and the wound, like, I guess I've maybe contemplated that before, but never to the scale that Rebecca really, you know, she connected the dots for me because, you know, it's so metaphoric, you know, we've debrided so many nasty, gross wounds and people are like, Oh my gosh, it's never going to heal. And, and, Oh, it hurts. It hurts. And then, you know, if you do it right, and you use the right tools and you have the skill set and you're surrounded by the right people and you, you know, and the metaphorically you have the right antibiotics and you know, everything, then you can, you can create an environment where that wound is healthy. And even though it's ugly, it can then come together. And then if you stick with the broken bone analogy, it can become stronger if it's set right, but it takes, it takes effort and it takes sort of trust in the process, um, even though that process is really ugly sometimes. So Rebecca laid that out in a really wonderful, beautiful landscape. And, um, I'm really grateful. So yeah. What do you, what do you got? You know, Rebecca wasn't using the word reinvention more evolving. And and I get that, but I mean, I, I love that because I think this no barriers journey is about evolution, right? I mean, of course it's a science, it's about mindset and motivation and, you know, all the skills that you're building to do the things that you want to do. But it's also about being able to react and respond to the things that happen, the stimulus in your life, you know, the hardships, the deaths, the the, the sadness, the, the the pain and responding to that and, and allowing that stuff to to be sort of a catalyst to the next step for you. You know, so I think it's a good thing for all of us to contemplate, like, how do we use this moment? as a catalyst to take the next step in our lives. Where is that going to be? Man, it's art and science and it's all exciting to say, where is that going to take me in my life and my family? 
but it's something we constantly need to think about, not to top ourselves. That's the beautiful thing about Rebecca. It's not like she's topping herself. She's just evolving, right? She's, she's growing through life. And um, I want to do that too. Yeah, because it's, it's easy to, to be complacent. The easy way is to be complacent with where we are right now in this landscape or to kind of maybe just allow things to just do what they want to do. But to really get things done and to maintain traction, you've got to be proactive. And I think she's led that kind of life. And um, I think that that's, that's, a, that's an inspiring thing for people to, to percolate on a little bit. Yeah, and that internal compass, you know, is uh, one of the few things we have to guide us. So that was excellent, too. And uh, Damn, I forgot. That was my favorite. <laughs> well, anyway, um, hey, if people want to learn more about No Barriers, come to our virtual summit, June 26th and 27th. We'll be announcing more about that. We moved over to a virtual summit because of COVID, something a lot of organizations are doing. But we're going to have this incredible celebration of what this No Barriers life involves. And it's all going to be virtual. You can experience it from your, your living room. So I hope people will take part in that support, no barriers. And thanks to our sponsors, Wells Fargo and Prudential. If you want to, you know, support us and this mission, well, support the folks that support us. And these are two great organizations. So thank you for that. And uh, Hey, no barriers. See you next time. production team behind this podcast includes senior producer Pauline Schaefer, executive producer Diedrich Jonk, sound design, editing, and mixing by Tyler Kotman, graphics by Sam Davis, and marketing support by Megan Lee and Carly Sandsmark. Special thanks to the Dan Ryan Band for our intro song, Guidance. And thanks to all of you for listening. We know that you've got a lot of choices about how you can spend your time, and we appreciate you spending it with us. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to it, share it, and give us a review. Show notes can be found at nobarrierspodcast.com.